Okay, so for the presentation here um, at this location, we've got Hope Ministries and also Papua New Guinea. Uh, so Scott and Michelle Toth are here from Hope Ministries in Brazil. They're going to be presenting for their part. And then on the second half, um, I'll be talking for one or two minutes about our last trip. And then Sister Ruthie from Papua New Guinea will be sharing about ministry she's involved in there. So, Brother Scott, Sister Michelle. Good morning. I'm going to be very, very brief as best as I can, Michelle. My name is Scott and my wife, Michelle. To us, legacy is so, so important. It was from the Apostolic Christian Church Foundation uh, that my wife, Michelle's parents, Vic and Elsie Schlatter, that many of you know, were sent out 63 years ago to Papua New Guinea, to an unreached area of the world. And it was 33 years ago, 30 years later, that the Lord sent us out through the Apostolic Christian Church Foundation to Brazil, another unreached area of the world, which it's very interesting uh, that most of the population in the Amazon lives in a rural area. So there's literally, literally tens of thousands of communities to be reached still. The C- I say that because with the sending of the Apostolic Christian Church from both my Michelle's parents and, and our lives, our family, they are seeds that you have sown. And I want to make that real clear because they're your seeds and the harvest that you'll be hearing about also from Papua New Guinea and Brazil is also your harvest. And I think that that's very precious. God's call on our lives began with a video. We'll be sharing a short video. A video by Grace Gasser from Portland, Oregon, about the work on the Amazon in Brazil. It was when we saw, both Michelle and I, separately, God spoke to us, when we saw that video of these, a small group of young people on a riverboat in the Amazon, praising the Lord, worshiping, singing, It just touched our hearts. God's called us. God's called us to a place where people have not heard the gospel. And God's called us to a place where if somebody didn't go, um, they they wouldn't hear. They wouldn't hear the good news. Our call is to plant churches. This is just an introduction. Michelle will be sharing a little bit more about. Our call is to plant churches. And in planting churches, we begin by sending a boat to areas that are unreached up different river tributaries. And when we find a a place where there is no church, no gospel witness, then we send our medical boat in and begin to do clinics, clinics, dental clinics and also medical clinics with with dentists and and doctors. And this is the open door that causes the, opens the hearts of the people in those communities to to actually donate property and to say we want a church here. And as we do clinics over, over the years, we also hold services, church services in the evenings. And over the years, it's a, it's a time-consuming thing, but over the years, the church gets started. Both Michelle and I felt God saying, this is where I want you. These are the people that I want you to reach that haven't heard. And that's about all I'm, I'm going to say for now. 
I'm just going to show you very quickly the maps that we have here of, of where we're working in Brazil. Um, do you want to point us? Here, do you want to, okay. The maps here you can see on these two maps areas here. We are at the red um, pointer, and that is the city of Castanhal. It's not right on the coast of Brazil. It's about two hours from the coast, but it's a large city of 300,000 people, but it's an area where all around, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, there are tributaries of the Amazon River with people that have no gospel church. And this is a more of a close-up on showing where our city of Castanhal is, right there in the middle. Um, and we have, that is the city that we have in the, uh, the church we have in this city, but then we have four bases. The northern one is up in Asu, and it's up to the north here, and that's in an area where there's lots of um, rivers that come in from the ocean, tidal rivers they're called, and there's at least 42 communities in that area that have no church. The communities are about 500 people, the towns are about 10,000 people, and the cities are larger, about 300,000. So we have communities up in that area to the north. That's about an hour drive away from our city of Castanel. So one hour drive, and the yellow lines are roads. Now we'll go down to the south, to Bujaru. That's another river base we have. And Bujaru, again, by road, it's about an hour, hour and a half from Castanel. In Bujaru, we have our medical boat docked, and we can go one of either direction on that river. The light green is the river. I, I don't know how many of you can see it from way in the back, but if we go one direction along the river, you can go down this way. We go to the southeast, and we go down all the way down to Santana, and that is where, near there is where our base is, called Alegri Vamos on the Caping River. That's eight hours by boat, or if we drive from Castanhal, it would be about three hours and then another half an hour by a small boat. But if we want to do clinics, we have to take the boat because the boat has the dental chair, it has all the medicines on it, it has the whole team of people who are helping in the clinic. A few doctors can go by car, the extra doctors, but the boat has to go out. Doing the other direction on the river, we go to the capital of Belang, and then we go down the Moju River, and we go eight hours in that direction, and we get to our base on the Moju River called Parita. So either of those bases, we could go eight hours by medical boat or three hours by car, but if we want the dental chair, we have to take the boat. So just to give you an idea, in each of these, um, each of these areas, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, we have churches that we are establishing. We have three of the churches are built, and the Allegri Vamos we are still constructing. In three of the churches, we have pastors that are working and, and workers, missionaries that are working. In the Allegri Vamos church, we haven't started the church actually yet, but we have a building that's going up. Okay? That's it. So first of all, I want to show you two short videos about... Let's see if I can get this here. ministry. Okay, and this is a short video showing our medical boat going out on the Kalping River. That's the place that we don't actually have a church up, but we're just starting the building. Okay, we just want to say that the 
Apostolic Christian Church Missionary Board of Canada has been supporting this ministry for at least three years now. It's probably going on four. And you are the ones that are providing for the medicines, providing for the fuel costs, providing for the boat to go up and down these rivers, and that are reaching these people. So that's just a really great contribution. We want to thank you for that. Now, the next video we're showing is a very short one. It's in Portuguese. It's Deborah sharing about the work, but um, you can't understand the Portuguese, but again, it has subtitles in English that you can pick up on those. I'm not very good at computers. <laughs> oh, there we go. We got it. Okay, so just try and read these, ho these subtitles. And before we start this, I just want to say that it has an aerial view of our Bujaru church. So the aerial view you'll see is of our boat. It's of the Bujaru church, and the green land right around the boat is land that belongs to our church area there and where our dock is. I just want to show you now, because besides the medical boat ministry, the Lord is opening up doors this year for us to work with abused children, a safe, opening up a safe home for abused children. And we also shared some of these slides last year, but I want to share them again because it's so important to see what God is doing. And just to, I'll go through these really fast. We also have out on the table there a lot of pamphlets telling about the different projects, the social projects, and also newsletters from the last six months. So Vila Aviva is the name of our home that we are opening up in Bujaru. It's about... The area is about half a mile from where our boat is, and Vila Aviva means, in Portuguese, it means the home where people are coming alive, and in Hebrew, it means springtime home. So those are the names, the meaning of the names there. Um, Evelyn's story, she's one of the little girls that we found that was abused in the Bujaru area, and we opened, originally called the home Evelyn's Home because we were thinking of this little girl that we've been helping her for the last 10 years. Now she's 13, but when we first saw her, she was 3 years old. Her parents would lock her out of the house, and she would sleep on the doorsteps of the church at night in the rain, in the cold, full of sores, dirty, because she wasn't wanted by her parents. Here's some of the children that we're reaching. Um, these children live in a home where they're taken care of by a mentally handicapped aunt, and there's no parents, and they've all been abused both, both physically and sexually, and they are still living in this home because we don't have our home open yet. And so that's one of the things that we are working to open up this home in the next year and a half. Um, I don't have time to read through all this now, but... That's our daughter, Deborah, and two of the children of the family that have been accompanying them. This is a picture of the land. We're standing in front of the land that the government has donated to us. And here is just briefly, we're thinking that the construction of the home and the office complex is $145,000. That sounds like a lot of money, but we'll break it down. The legal registration of the home with the Brazilian government is 17000 And in this last year since we were here at camp a year ago, the Lord has provided the money for this, um, for the legal registration, and now the, the home is completely registered. The project of the home is registered, and we are able to build and is able to open up as soon as we can build the home. And this year, the end of this year, we would like to put up the wall, the electric, 
the, the wall, I mean a wall around the property which is needed in every place that you have in Brazil, the electric, the well, and also the filter to fill in some of the area that is too low where water collects in the land that we were given. So that is our next project that will cost about $17,000, and we're hoping to do that by the end of this year. Next year, we'll start working on the home and the office complex, and that will actually be two homes, one for boys, one for girls, and an office building, and that will build as the funds come in over the next year. So we just want you to know about those projects and to be praying with us. Um, the next thing that I want to show you really quick here is just a, just a very short video here of or some slides here that we have showing you how we go out to plant churches. And this is in um, 2016. Our family went, six of us went. That's myself, our son-in-law, Marsal, Deborah, and our son, Philip, and two Brazilian workers. We went upriver to look for the place where we want to plant a church. We went in this small boat here. We couldn't stand up in it. It's called a covered canoe. Here it shows what it's like inside of it. We put a little two-burner stove on to cook. And we went for four days up this river. We didn't have any internet. We printed out maps from Google Maps to find out where we were going. And as you've seen in the pictures, it's a very large river. We had no lice. We went past many, many homes. We went up for two days till we reached the home of this young man named Samuel. This is Samuel's home here, our boat in front of his home. And here we gave him in 2016 the Gospel of John and started preaching God's word to Samuel. This is Samuel's daughter, Samuel's wife and his daughter. So to reach these people, we went, then went back. There was a... Um, School building about maybe half a mile from where they lived, up to eighth grade. It was a school building with three rooms. We sent out a team from our church to paint the building to fix up the fourth room. And then in 2018, we sent the first medical team up the river. We purchased this boat and sent a medical team up the river. We found that Samuel at that time had a third child who was hydrocephalic. We were able to get the child out for surgery and save his life. And here is our boat coming back for clinics. And here is Samuel and our Samuel's wife and baby and little girl at one of the clinics. Here's the schoolroom that is completely built now. And here's having services at night in the schoolroom. And now we are putting up a church in this area. The people donated land. And different ones of the churches here in the U.S. have given to put up the walls and the roof of this church. And Scott will finish this story. Well, as missionaries, we would, every missionary would love to tell you about the collective fruit of the work over the years. We've been there for 33 years. I would love to tell you about hundreds and maybe even thousands of people that are being reached. But our work is to plant churches, and our work is to grow those churches and build up the churches by raising up local leadership. And just four days before we came back to the U.S., back to North America about three weeks ago. Just four days, Michelle and I made a, a monthly trip out by car. So we spent all day driving to the river edge. We were picked up by Samuel in a small boat and taken to his parents' house on the river. One with the red shirt. Samuel is the one with the red shirt, and his parents are there in the front, Tamasia and Antonio. Six years ago, they were very 
against Christians. They would never allow any pastor to approach their house. They, they told their kids if they went to any of our church services, they would be beaten when they got home. So Samuel would go to the church services, but he never gave his heart to Jesus until this day. And I want to just briefly tell you that when we went to the house, uh, four days before we came here on this trip, they were very open. But this is after God softening their hearts through many clinics, six years of clinics, six years of prayer, five years of clinics, six years of prayer, and them seeing what God did through their grandson, um, Samuel's, Samuel's, another one of Samuel's sons that had hydrocephalic. We got to the house, they were open, and God just led me to ask the Tamazia if she knew of, of the one time in the Old Testament that a mother presented her son to God in the temple, consecrating his, her son to God in the temple. And she doesn't read, she doesn't, she doesn't like Christians, she doesn't have a Bible, she never went to church, but she said, yes, it was Hannah. She presented Samuel. I said, how did you know that? This is what God told me to ask her. I didn't know that she didn't know. I thought I was going to teach her something. And she said, because years ago, I saw in the Bible, somebody else's Bible, that there was a book called, called Samuel, and I wanted an, another son, one more son, so I asked God, if you give me a son, I will name him Samuel and give him to you. I said, do you know that that is God? God planned that? Do you know that God sent us here to tell you the full story? The full story is that Jesus loves you. The full story is that Jesus, what he did for you on the cross, and I have to summarize this whole story. It's very beautiful. But tears began to run down her cheeks, and I said, do you want to receive Jesus? Do you want to give your heart to Jesus? Do you want to experience his forgiveness? And she said, yes. So we, had the, we, we led them in prayer. The very first step, that's all we had time for, very first step. And she gave her heart to Jesus, her husband, Antonio, Samuel. And we didn't know it, but Samuel's brother behind their mother was in the house, and he was also praying along with us. So four people a whole family gave their hearts to Jesus that day. That's just the beginning, but it's the beginning of raising up a worker. It's the beginning of starting a church. It's the beginning of raising up um, and winning a whole community. And we just want to tell you that that's, that's our long-term commitment. We have a call. We will be there for the rest of our lives until Jesus comes, and our children also. And we're, we say that because, and, and I say, I, I would want to remind you that God is a generational God. That's why, that's why legacy is so important. That's why legacy, and we want to pass that on to our children. I just want to, I don't know if we'll have chance, another chance, but I want to give greetings from my mom, from Elsie Schlatter, and she's doing very well. You, many of you know that my father, Victor, passed away last year, but Elsie is doing well, and she's sent her greetings to all of you, and she's 90, she'll be 90 in two more weeks, She's still very bright. She sends out newsletters to everybody. She um, reads the news about Israel and, and decides what's important and passes it on to us. And so we're very thankful that they're living with us still. And I just want to say too many of you prayed for me when I had a stroke. And I did have a stroke, a major cerebellar... Cere, cerebe- Cere, cerebellum. That's the only thing she can't pronounce after the stroke. <laughs> 
but I had a, a stroke for the cerebellum, and um, there was really no side effects. There's a few words that I have a little trouble pronouncing, but I don't know if that's from my age and from speaking two languages, but the Lord healed me completely, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, one person said that in one of our newsletters they saw me in a wheelchair, but that was actually my mom. I was only in the wheelchair for a couple of hours at the hospital when they first found I had had the stroke and they thought I should go to intensive care, but God healed me completely. I came back with no problems, and we just rejoice and thank the Lord, and I thank the Lord that he's given us more time to serve him, and our goal in life is to serve the Lord while we have time. We know that Jesus is coming. We know that there's people to reach. We know that we won't live forever, even though I did ask the Lord for another 35 years when they prayed for me. But we know we won't live here forever. And so every day that the Lord gives us is a gift, a gift where we can reach out to somebody that doesn't know the Lord, share the love of Jesus, share the gospel with somebody, and that our lives would count, that we would do what we can for the kingdom of God. I just want to conclude by saying that our desire, as at the age that we are at, I'm 68, Michelle is 67, we would like to finish the call that God placed on our lives, and that's our desire. And that call has a lot to do with when I was 18 years old, I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says that at the end of all of our lives, our works are going to be tried by fire. And that reminds me of the judgment seat of Christ. So I'm going to have to give an account of my life before God at the end of my life. And I remember at age 18, I was asking, I, I said, Lord, I don't want to get to be 70 or 80 years old and look back and see nothing. I want my life to count for the kingdom of God, for something eternal. And that's when God called us to Brazil. And so we want to fulfill that call. And I want to thank you for, for, for hearing us share. If there's any questions, probably some of you have questions. We will be available afterwards. Okay. So are there maybe one question until Brother Willie unplugs and plugs in his equipment? Nothing up yet. Oh, hey. Wow. I'm amazed every time. Okay, so thank you, Brother Scott and Sister Michelle. We, I'm going to just start with a little bit uh, talking about the... Um, um, talking about the uh, trip that we went on in uh, January. Um, little map of uh, Papua New Guinea there. So we traveled with a, a team. We go into Port Moresby, um, and then we go up, fly up to Mount Hagen. Normally we go to the Nipa area, but this time we did a different uh, route. We actually went to Garoka, where it shows there on the map, and then to Lei, and then we fly to Kimbe, um, and then we fly back to Port Moresby, before, uh, before, before heading back. So there's a lot of travel, a lot of hours on the road, um, and there's church plants in each of these locations. Um, today we have uh, 170 churches in Papua New Guinea. Um, there's, uh, there's about 18,000 members in the church already, about 50,000 people that attend. These numbers are totally approximate not with the number of churches, but the, uh, the number of people attending. They don't pay attention to numbers the way we do. 
Um, and, um, and I just, I don't want to put the focus on what our trip was. I want to give Sister uh, Ruthie and Joe uh, to, uh, time to share about the ministry she does in Papua New Guinea. And she is the wife of, or the widow of late Pastor Bezlel, who some of you remember had a sermon here on uh, the message, Go!, um, it's amazing that one person can leave a legacy like that behind, but uh, we're thankful for uh, Sister Ruthie to be able to be here. Now, we'll see if I can switch this to her slide. Here we go. Okay, Sister Ruthie, come. All right, greetings from Papua New Guinea. I'm so grateful to be in front of you all, and I'm, I'm so thankful that you accept me in this beautiful place. Um, as Brother Willie have already mentioned, my name is Ruthie Bezalel Teki. I am one of the daughters of uh, one of the pioneers of Good News Christian Church, Papua New Guinea. My father and my mother, they worked together with late Victor Slater, uh, Missile's mom and dad. All right, my husband passed on. Thank you for your prayers and contribution during his time of, in the hospital. He passed on in 2017. And my dad also passed on in, after two, uh, two years from now. And I continue with the missions that they've already uh, left, so I'm continuing with them. I'll mostly be talking about the ministry that I'm involved in, a women's ministry in Goodness Christian Church in Papua New Guinea, and fitmanship ministry, which the Lord have spoken to me in sickbed, while in sickbed. There's a lot of st- slides, but I will not go through all of them because we're running out of time. I will see what I can go through. Goodness Christian Church uh, PNG Women's Ministry. It was established since the establishment of the church in 1961 by Victor and Elsie's letter. But it was uh, not, most of the activities were not involved in women's ministry. And it was more in operation in the rural, uh, rural setting where the church was established until 2017. Uh, Ship Ministry was introduced. A fitmanship ministry and women's ministries in, in one basket. The women, especially, they involve more in fitmanship ministry. Fitmanship ministry is a, a, a adoption f- fostering ministry kind of activity that we do. But it's to do most of the volunteers, are the mothers in the Goodness Christian Church as well. Our vision is to holistically save and save the unfortunates 
and disadvantaged souls right across the nation. Goal is to create an avenue that one learn to treat others right by valuing and respecting, just by work that talk obedience to the gospel. All right, some of the missions that we do, feed the hunger, clothe the naked, give to the poor, visit the sick, visit prison inmates, especially the female inmates that we go to. We care for the disabled and support the widows and orphans. Our strategies approach, holistic approach, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, mentally, for a total well-being of a person. Right? Our objectives for your press for another maybe two or three years' time. Uh, most of the time that we, we go out, it's, we don't have a place to stay. So most of the mothers in the church, we go out treats to the hospital, to prison inmates, especially the female inmates. And those you will see in PNZ, we have like kind of polygamous Melanesian custom. Polygamy is where the women have been left alone and with the kids and the men like have another wife and so. So this, uh, these are the kind of women that we work along with them, providing counseling, teaching, and pray together with them. Basically, we don't have a care center even within the church, but we reach out to them. Our core values is to is love, care, sympathy, humility, and honesty. All right, our commitments, as I've mentioned, most of them with hospital outreach, we minister, we comfort and feed. Prison outreach, we do uh, especially with the female inmates. We provide training like first aid skills, like baking and sewing skills, and uh, children nurturing skills like uh, teaching them with Bible school and stuff. We do that every weekly and yearly for prison outreach, hospital outreach monthly, and training skills every month. All right, this one you can see some of the pictures that we involve in the hospital outreach. It's not necessary to take like uh, food always, uh, because the volunteers out there, like the voluntary, we reach out. We don't have a source of funds that is supporting us to do so. So we reach out just to provide comfort, if it means to pray, and just touch and pray and stay with the, the mothers out there, and even with the prison as well. You can see the blue and red is the prison inmates in Papua New Guinea. That's especially, I'm referring to the Eben, the capital city of Papua New Guinea, Port Mosby. The white uniforms are the women in the fellowship. We provide um, basic training as well. This is a testimony of one of the Christian inmates. He was with, uh, with a uh, pretty daughter there. Her name is Eileen Jack. She's one of uh, the Christian inmates from the highlands of Papua New Guinea. She was been released in 2020 after being imprisonment for five to ten years. But then she has no place to go and because the family couldn't accept her anymore. So we managed to do what we can because we don't have a place that we can keep also. So we have to, one of the ways we do is to liaise and negotiate with people can help them. So uh, we negotiate with some of the 
people, they can help her to put in a place where she can get further help. And she was sent to a Bible school, and now she's doing a second year in a Bible school, and she will graduate next year. Right? Again, this is some of the activities we do. Once we reach out to prison inmates, we get the numbers of those uh, the prisoners who are in there, and we bring toiletries or anything that we bring across, we have to count the numbers and we bring across to them. These are some of the activities that the Women's Fellowship are doing. Even we support the disabled. We have one, this uh, Cheshire disability in, in the capital city, we have only one in the country, but then they only look at the disabled ones, which uh, it's a non-government organization where government sometimes uh, do donate and help, but it's not much to do with the orphans and widows and other disabled, and it's not enough, but only we have only one caring center for disabled. So sometimes the church uh, women, we organize and we see and we reach out to people, especially those who are in settlement and who cannot get help. This is some of the uh, orphans and we do uh, sorry, abandoned children. Yeah, this is one of the training life skills that we do. We have some health centers who are close, uh, close by, like we have to negotiate. I'm, I'm one of the nursing, nursing officer, but then I have to negotiate and uh, ask if they can volunteer to help our, our pastors and our youths and children, in, uh, children and those that need to you know, provide training for them. So this is one of the pictures. You can see some of the, them are expatriates, South Africa, those that are working and saving in health in Papua New Guinea. We negotiate with them, and they used to come and provide like basic health, uh, life support skills, and other training for the health. All right, thank you to some of the Western missionaries. They distribute some of the things for women's hygiene. Um, some uh, girls been volunteering with Brother Willie. They came along and they provided some of the things that we need. Uh, when Once we have those items, we have to give them health awareness and stuff before we distribute them. All right, in women's ministry also, we have annual women's conference. Uh, that's... Uh, this activity didn't happen for the first time, but we've started just recently in 2018. That's when every woman in Papua New Guinea, every church, we have four regions, they come together in that annual conference. So we have the first one in 2018. And then we provide training, we do counseling, and we have the women leaders in each provinces. In here, maybe you call it states, but we have it in every provinces that they come together and we have meetings as well and we provide evangelistic preaching, teaching and counseling for a week. We, this is the one we uh, did it in 2018. That's in Port Mosby, the national capital. And this one is 2019 in one of the highlands region in Papua New Guinea. And this one is in the second um, city in Port Mosby. That's in Momaze region in Lay. This one is in, in the Upper Highlands region. Almost we have covered the four regions for the National Women's Conference. We didn't have one in 2022 because we had a 
bit of disturbance with the politics, uh, the campaign and politics and stuff. So the recent one, 20, this year, 2023, will be in December, coming December. All right. Uh, the source of support, really 100% is voluntary kind of saving ministry. It's like the mothers in there, they, will, uh, they have testimonies, like they are widows themselves. They are mothers with problems. They go through problems. They reach out to mothers who have problems to encourage and pray with them. We liaise with other brethren to volunteer with us. We do fundraising events like sell, reselling groceries, selling food items, baking and sewing, and like billum weaving is the main thing. Once you come to PNG, you will collect billums along the way. So yeah, that's the main fundraising we do. We give free will giving, and uh, so far no donor funds to do this. We voluntary we do, and if we don't have it on hand, we negotiate and we liaise with other friends, brethren, if they can help us to do so. But it's we just started in the southern region where the capital city is. But it's our desire to reach out to other regions as well. 90% non-income, non-income, meaning that the volunteers who are participating in there have no formal income, only 10%. So we do the following activities, like uh, doing fundraising and stuff to uh, commit to the work that God has given to us. This is one of the fundraising events that we do, selling drums to store water. All right, some of the donations so far, since 2017 to 2023, some of the days for girls' kids that we receive, and we further distribute to other rural uh, remote areas as well. Some of the first aid medical items, like consumables, those that are expiring within like two to three months' time, they, we negotiate, and they used to give it to us, so we reach out to other like uh, settlement areas or others that they cannot afford to go out there is very expensive so we do what we can to help others as well all right okay we have some challenges for your prayers we struggle with expectation once we do a lot of amount of work they think we got some funds from somewhere there you know everyone would want to but then it's through the grace of god that we're using what we have on hand to help someone who is in need we struggle with funds and there is no but we volunteer mostly volunteer to do what we can for the lord right some of the modification uh, motivational effects it's actually um the Feedmanship Ministry initiated in, in Sickbed in 2017. It was the Lord's voice. Um, me and my late pastor, we were in Philippines. He was diagnosed with cancer of the lung. And while we were there, the Lord really spoke to him. And he was kind of wrestling with the voice. You have to feed the sheep, feed the sheep. And he was saying, who is sheep? Who is that that I can feed? And he further showed us the... Bible text in Matthew 25, 35 and 36, feed those who are poor, who are hunger, visit the sick, visit the prison, those who are disabled, widows and orphans, you have to support them. And we were saying, these are things that we're supposed to do, but we didn't do. We were thinking that just preaching is just enough. Being a missionary's daughter is just enough for me. And I was being so selfish, and really the Lord touched us on sickbed and said, you have to touch someone who is untouched. So these are some of the uh, 
the testimonies that um, really taught us that we have to do what the Lord has told us to do. I was touched by your thoughts. It was you behind this fitmanship ministry. I didn't know until, until I know you showed me the way. You showed me discipleship. You showed me how to fish. Far important, you inspired and transpired my life with the word of God. You saved and saved my soul. What you did to me motivates me to do what I'm doing today. Thank God for you all. I was sick and you visited me. I was widow, hurting, mourning, and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. Thank God for your prayers. Thank God for touching our lives. If it wasn't by you, then I shouldn't be where I am. That was the conviction I had. Thank you. To conclude, I was saying, Lord, everyone is gone and it's me here. I've got nothing on hand to reach out. How can I do that? And he was saying, use what you have on hand. If you have two clothes, well, give it to give the other one who doesn't wear clothes. It was so challenging, but I have to do that. It was 2017 until now, 2023. These are some of the things you can see. And we pray that God will further expand, expand what God, he has put the vision in, our, in my heart through the women's ministry. To conclude, God placed us here on earth with the purpose to be fulfilled, a mission to accomplish, a reason to live for his good pleasure and for his glory, to save and to save mankind. Thank you very much for your attention. God bless you all. Oh, yeah, if you have any question, thank you. Thank you. All right. Yes, um, especially, you know, there's, there's some reasons why they do that, like, um, once men, you know, they, when they have things on hand, then and um, they see that, you know, pride is kind of one thing that they they practice. Like, men is you know up their agenda, so they can do anything. So once they, especially they are, they've got things on hand. Maybe so, someone who is working, or they've got some title and stuff. And uh, when they see that the woman is like, he's bar- she's barren or she cannot afford to provide a child or support the men in public, like um, when once we have some occasion and stuff, you know, men are always there to do things. So when this is missing, you know, they go out and look for other ladies. And then that's the time when there's a lot of them that practice that. And that's the time when women, they have no choice to retaliate, but... They have no choice, just come to the church. They are, they are coming to the church, they need spiritual help, but then they also need, you know, emotionally they are disturbed, so we approach them in a way how we can counsel them, uh, we can provide prayers and comfort them. If I cannot do, if I cannot manage, I negotiate liaise with some of the people that they can really come in and help, and 
we make sure we do some things that we could by the help of the Lord. So you will see a lot of them, like, they've got their own reasons, but a lot of polygamists is practicing uh, PNZ, the Melanesian way, because of the kind of um, uh, pride or the thing that they wanted to be menace up there. So that's what, the, yeah, that's one of the reasons. And for the expectation is like, because we do a lot of things. We go to the prison, we go to the hospital, and every time we go, we have to, you know, have something. And the mothers, like, highly involved, they are more interested, and they are thinking that are we getting funds from somewhere, some donor agencies that is helping us and doing all this. But then, really, truly, it's from the heart that we have to reach out. Uh, you will see the mothers are with testimonies. They are broken themselves. They hurt themselves. Like I'm a widow. I have to go and challenge someone who is a widow. This is the life I'm going through. I'm going through a lot of challenges. I have pushbacks. I've got a lot of things, false accusation. And then I have to touch someone who is going through such life as well. So I know that there's a widow's there who's going through a similar problem like I'm going through. So most of the mothers volunteering in there, you will see the mothers are widows and they've got some sort of problem. And with testimony, when it touch the soul, it's more effective than money anything can do. That's how the, the Fitmanship Ministry have started on Sigbe 2017. So that's how like, it was the voice of God that really spoke to us and God himself is leading the way. Thank you. Is there any question? So please, um, you know, approach uh, Sister Ruthie uh, when you see her through the week. You know, encourage her and uh, um, and ask questions about things. There's uh, she speaks good English. We're very fortunate of that. That's definitely not the case of. Everyone in Papua New Guinea, um, and uh, Brother Scott and Sister Michelle, you know, please take interest in the in the ministry. Um, and if you're ever interested in uh, in visiting uh, one of the the missions, um, let me or somebody on the missionary committee or uh, let somebody know about it. Um, uh, Lord willing, I do plan to be very end of September at Hope Ministries in Brazil. Um, at this point, I am by myself. I'd love to have somebody else uh, with me. Um, and uh, uh, Papua New Guinea, we'll see how the Lord opens uh, opens the way. Any other questions? to say that when I was in Papua New Guinea, I was very impressed with the women's ministry uh, with Sister Ruthie. Um, She really encourages the other women, mothers there. And I visited the other women ministries in other cities as well. And they're, they're extremely resourceful, even though they don't have a whole lot. But they'll do whatever they can if where they'll go uh, they'll walk far to buy used clothing and then they resell that and whatever money they make they'll buy material and then they'll teach other women to sew or they'll use that money for uh, to cook and food and to take it to other women um, so it, it I was really inspired how they really come together and really help one another and uh, really, you know, to encourage and uplift each other. So I just 
um, wanted to say how impressed I was um, with the women's ministry there in Papua New Guinea. Yes, Melanie. Can you answer that question? Oh, oh okay. You so, so the short answer is yes, you can do that. And would it be used? Yes, it would be. Um, the, the bigger struggle is that the cost of shipping something all the way to Papua New Guinea is so expensive that you probably buy the clothes a lot cheaper right there and like by by donating the funds for it specifically for something like that unless you, there was a way of uh, shipping it like from Australia that that'd be a lot cheaper but any coming from North America um, I can tell you that it, to ship a box that's about two feet by two feet um, by two feet um, weighing no more than 70 pounds and clothes add up weight quickly uh, it's it's close to four hundred dollars, so it, it's it's just it's a long ways away. So it's uh, it, and if anybody's not sure where Papua New Guinea is, it is just north of Australia. So it, a lot of people ask me that question. Yes, so part of the women's ministry is the sewing machines. We've donated quite a few up in the southern highlands. Um, where Ruthie is is in Port Moresby, the capital city area more, and that is a need there as well with, the, um, with sewing machines. And one of the things that you can do differently, everything's different from one area to the other, is they actually have electricity in Port Moresby, right? So you can actually use an electric sewing machine uh, of course, it's not at our voltage, but, uh, uh, but it's uh, instead of using the manual ones, which you need for up in the highlands and stuff. So from North America, uh, my wife Diana is our correspondent for the Women's Ministry and Sister Melanie Hrubick from Windsor. Um, and so if you ever have a direct question even about Women's Ministry and how you can uh, be involved in stuff, contact, uh, contact one of them. And then there, we, we do have a whole committee that deals with Papua New Guinea in itself. I think that's all the time we have for. Thank you for coming and listening, and please ask questions.